Uh, we're in the series, Questions Asked and Answered, and hopefully as we go through the series, particularly looking at the New Testament, if you've got uh, questions, things that confuse you about what God has said or things He should have said, uh, let us know. Write that uh, on a card or send it to the church office, go on our webpage, and um, we'll try to do the best we can in terms of responding to some issues that you might have as far as what God has said about Himself or what He says about us. Now this morning, uh, this, this is a morning in which... Um, I'm so excited about preaching because it really is, of all the four Gospels, it's the Gospel that is probably more fits my natural bent and personality. And, and I want to ask you a question here, just honest response, there's no right or wrong answers, but are, are you a person that when you wake up in the morning, you're just filled with energy, I mean, you just don't have to get that first cup of coffee, you're just ready to go, or are you kind of that person who uh, kind of just... It kind of just struggles to get it going. So, first question, are you the person who when you wake up in the morning, you're just ready to go? Just raise your hand. You are just on fire, ready to hit that next day and say, I'm, I'm ready. Now, those who are on the other side, if you have a hard time getting that motor running, just raise your hand on that one. All right. Well, for those who answered that way, we have three other Gospels for you. But for those who began that morning without having that five-hour energy drink or five cups of coffee, this is the Gospel for you. Because Mark hits the pavement running as it relates to getting out the message. Uh, one pastor I read this past week, I don't know if it was a pastor actually, it was just a, one who commented on the, on the gospel of Mark. He said, as you think about the gospel, and this is a, this is a morning which I get to speak fast, quickly, so just because that's the kind of gospel we're going to be looking at. But as you look at what the gospel is, the gospel primarily is not a debate or a discussion, but it's an announcement. It's really going back a few years in our culture where they had newspapers. You know, you didn't have to go on the internet and find all your information or hear, you know, a variety of all kinds of media. But basically, they get up early in the morning and have these little kids running around. They say, extra, 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 good news. Read, come and read to get the paper. Well, this is Mark. Mark is starting just yelling out extra, extra good news because that's what the gospel is. And in fact, he's so excited about it, he decides to cut out about 30 years of the life of Jesus. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the Gospel of Mark, which is the the second book in the New Testament, and we're just going to see how it begins. And this morning, I want to paint you a picture. I want to paint you a picture of Jesus again. I want to give you a little bit of insight in the the life of Mark. And and then I want to just hit home the main emphasis in terms of the distinction of of Mark as it relates to the the other four Gospels, other three Gospels. Look at Mark chapter 1. And it really kind of emphasizes that the gospel is not so much a debate or discussion, though we can debate it and we can discuss it, but primarily it's an announcement. This is the truth, and this is the truth that will revolutionize your life. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, he says this, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So what John, what John Mark does is he skips the birth of Jesus, he skips the early years of Jesus, and he goes right to the point where Jesus is on public display. And really when you think about the life of Jesus, we know so much more about his last three, three and a half years, and even much more so about his last eight days. And this really pictures how Mark portrays the life of Jesus and the message of Jesus. And if you were with us uh, the last couple of weeks, we spent a couple of weeks in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to spend just one week, Lord willing, in, in the Gospel of Mark. But, but you'll, you'll see that Matthew presented Jesus as king. So if you were to picture Jesus, you would picture Jesus with a crown on. 
But what you'll see in the, in the life of Mark is that you will see Jesus with a towel. And, and he's here to wash people's feet. Even though that account is only recorded in the Gospel of John, you see people ministered to, by Jesus in miraculous ways to point out not only the power of Jesus, but the compassion of Jesus. In fact, some of the descriptions of Jesus as he does his works, as he does his deeds, it, it commentates on it by saying this was the compassionate work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that word of compassion is only used of Jesus other than the parables uh, for him. Well, this morning I want to do is give you a little backdrop in terms of this gospel. And, and then I want to hit home about where I think we all need it to wrestle with in terms of living out the message that is announced. First of all, I want, again, I want to make a distinction between this gospel and the gospel we looked at recorded to us by Matthew. The reason we know this is an emphasis on just simply the life of Jesus is because the priority of what Mark is sharing here is, is to a Roman audience. And the Roman audience particularly are looking at people's life. What, what do they put out? What do they really do? They could care less about what your genealogy is because they want to see what kind of character are you? What, what kind of person? Can you lead? Can you, can you be a person that changes lives? And that's what Mark addresses during this, this gospel, this account, the story of Jesus. It presents Jesus as a servant. And, and we know this because in contrast to Matthew, there is no genealogy. The first chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, you know, has a list of all those names and, and how they were connected. You don't have any of that in the Gospel of Mark. Also, there are no fulfilled prophecies. Now, we see those prophecies as critical for us understanding why we believe. There are reasons to believe in Jesus, not just wishful thinking. But for Mark, he was writing to an audience that wanted to look particularly just at the life of Jesus. So he did not go back to the Old Testament to emphasize that. Thirdly, there's no reference to the law, or, to, or and there are very few Jewish customs throughout this book. Why? Because the Romans were not concerned about the history of the Jews. As they were going to be punctured in the heart by Jesus, it was, it was going to be simply by looking at Jesus. Also, you can look at there's no Latin, there are Latin terms used in place of Greek terms would relate to the Roman audience. And then, fifthly, there's the power and compassion of Christ displayed. In fact, of the 35 miracles uh, that are recorded in the four Gospels, Mark has 18 of them. In fact, there's, proportionally, there's many more miracles recorded for us in, in Mark in relationship to the other Gospels. Well, tell me a little bit about the author of this book. Well, most of the time we refer to the author's book as Mark, but you really had two names, John Mark. And as we think about that, it's a very simple way of understanding why he had two names. John was his Jewish name and, and Mark was his Greek name. And as we think about this individual, he's not one of the apostles. And so as we think about, well, well then why was he given the right to write one of the four stories, the accounts of his life? It's because he was very close to one of the apostles, and that was Peter. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, he says, he's my son. Now we know that that physically he was not the son of Peter, but probably he was his spiritual son. He was the one that was used by God to influence Mark coming to faith and following the Lord Jesus Christ. We also know that he is a relative of a very familiar person, particularly in the book of Acts, Barnabas. Barnabas was a companion of Paul as he went on his missionary journeys. And Barnabas, we know him as a, as a person who is known for his encouragement. In fact, he's, his name means son of encouragement. And, and he was... Um, Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. And we're going to see a little bit later on, there was some controversy between Paul and Barnabas a little bit later on in their life. But what's interesting too, we find that, that Mark actually is probably written into the story of his story, the life of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 14, verses 51 and 52. 
And we look a little bit in the character of Mark as well, even early in his life before he recorded uh, some of the other things about Jesus and other people recorded things about his life. Mark chapter 14, verses 51 through 52. In fact, we'll back up a little bit. And in beginning of verse 48, we see that this is right in the midst of Jesus being uh, taken um, and seized to be crucified. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple, teaching, and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young man laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled for them naked. Now, if you want to picture Mark, you can picture him as the first streaker, you know, in, uh, in the Scriptures. Because he was at, it was, it was at night, he didn't have a whole lot of clothes on, he was watching all that was going on, and, and all of a sudden, uh, the, the Roman guard came out to seize Jesus, and everyone who was his close followers, his apostles and disciples, they fled, and all of a sudden they saw this little young man, I don't know if he's little, but a young man with not a whole lot of clothing on, they go out to grab him, and as he rushes, he loses all his clothing and goes out naked. And what you have here is you have kind of a glimpse in the life of Mark that Mark was a person always interested in Jesus, but it wasn't really sure whether he was willing to be courageous in following him. And as we look, even as we heard earlier in the, in the service, as we think about our life following Jesus, it's not always a skyrocket, you know, rock straight up, that there are some dips and valleys in our walk with Jesus. And that is true not only of us today, but it's also true of those who were the heroes of the faith in the first century. And Mark had his struggles, but God still used him. And really, the only kind of people God uses are imperfect people. And somehow we've bought the lie, the only way that God can use me if I get my act totally together. Now, God wants us to get our act together, but we're not going to get it totally together until we see him face to face. So as we're on this journey, we definitely can connect and relate with other people because everybody else in this world is imperfect as well. And the only one we present as perfect is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that changes lives, and we're just holding on to him. And that's how Mark was as he shared the message with us. What's interesting, Mark, in Acts chapter 12, verse 25, we find out that, that Mark's mother was a um, facilitator of the church gathering together in her household. Apparently, she had a large house, and the people gathered to worship in his house. And Peter would often come to that particular place. We find out that he had great friends that were strong in the faith, both Barnabas and Paul, and they went on a missionary journey. But about halfway through, as far as we know, it's about halfway through, uh, Mark takes off. He deserts them. Now, as they plan the next missionary journey, we find that Paul uh, is not as excited about taking him on the second mission journey because he didn't finish the what? The first, first missionary journey. And Barnabas pleads with Paul, saying, yes, he, you know, he, he, can, he can be faithful now. He, he struggled in the past, but he can be faithful in the future. They have this huge argument, and they split. And Paul takes Silas on another missionary journey, and Barnabas takes um, Mark on a missionary journey. Interesting enough, as far as the touchdown in our own little family right now, is one of our sons, Matt, is in Cyprus. And when Barnabas and, and Mark take off, they go to the island of Cyprus, presenting the gospel there. So we have Mark, one who had close relationships with, with people who, who knew Jesus deeply. And because of this relationship with, with Peter, God calls Mark to record the account and story 
of the life of Jesus. But he does it in a unique way, not to present Jesus as the king, as the one who is sovereign, though he believed that, but presenting Jesus as the one who came to serve and change people's lives. Now, to give you an overview of the, in the entire Gospel of Mark, look at um, the servant in Mark, and we'll just race through these chapters. This is not the main point this morning. But if you look at it, you'll see this, this thread throughout the Gospel. In chapter 1, you have the message and the mission of the servant. And we see that from the very beginning. He, he proclaims the gospel being announced. And the mission of the servant is portrayed. And then in chapter 2, we have the miracles of the servant. And then we see from the very beginning, Jesus acting out the power and the compassion of the gospel. In chapter 3, we have the controversy of the servant. The controversy of the servant, from, right, from the very beginning, there were those who, who thought Jesus did not meet the, the picture they had of the one who was going to come. Because he came not only as a king, but he came as a servant. And as he began serving people, particularly on the Sabbath, controversy arose. Chapter 4, we have the parables of the servant. It's interesting, of the 70 parables that Jesus told, and the parables were earthly stories with heavenly meanings, basically, uh, and Mark does not record a whole lot of them. In fact, there's only two main records of the messages of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. There were five, one, five in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, only two in the, um, the record of, of Mark recording the life of Jesus. Chapter 5, the needs met by the servant. In fact, chapter 5 is a great story because in that particular chapter you have an illustration of oikos where, where God's power is manifested in the life of Jesus where a, a demon-possessed man is released from the power of the demon and he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And when he comes to faith in Jesus, what do you think his natural desire was? To follow Jesus, to go wherever Jesus went. And Jesus said, no. You like to hear the word no? You like, you know, whatever you pray unto God and you're asking for God to move and, and God just says no? Well, can you imagine that? Just pleading to just hang out with Jesus, go where his disciples went. And Jesus said no, but he had a different mission for him. He said, I want you to go back and tell your friends and your family the great things that have happened in your life. And see, that's the mission field really he gives to each one of us, that that we are to go to our family and to our friends and tell what Jesus has done in our lives. And in chapter 6, you have the disciples serve with the servant. And really, as we're going to see the key verses in this particular book, you'll see God came not only present the example and only demonstrate, but it was something that we were to follow. And so he, he, only, he trains and he sends out his disciples to serve. Chapter 7, you have the Gentiles served by the servant. And this is particularly key because, again, the, the message is presented by Mark that, that Jesus came not just for the chosen people of Israel, but he came for the whole world. And he begins to do miracles among the Gentiles. In chapter 8, you have the cost of following the servant. There are, there are two dangers we have in presenting the message. It's not to you to be debated so much or even discussed, but it is to be announced and presented. But as we present it, we want to present it clearly. One danger is that we make it too easy, and another danger, we make it too hard. It is simple, but it's never easy. It is hard, but God gives rest and sufficiency. See, there's nothing that we can do on our own to measure up to God's standard. His forgiveness is offered to anyone who will come to Him 
and surrender their lives to him. Simply crying out for his mercy. And from that perspective, all we need to do is just tell people about God's forgiving work on the cross for them. But on the other hand, we need to understand, they need to understand that if they make that step of faith, it will change everything in their life. Jesus said in, Matt, in Mark chapter 8, that if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. There is a cost. Now, if you make a cost-benefit analysis, there, <laughs> there, is, there is no cost. But it's going to demand everything that you are to follow him. It's a free gift purchased completely by him, offering forgiveness and eternal life and a life forever with him, but it's going to demand everything that you are to follow him. In chapter 9, we have the glory of the servant. And and that's an interesting record. In fact, the synoptic gospels, they see the, the story of Jesus in so many similar ways, and sometimes they leave out certain parts of the story because they can't tell everything about Jesus, and sometimes they add what the rest of the writers uh, recorded. But as you think about a servant, normally you don't think of a servant being glorified. But Mark records the transfiguration of the life of Jesus where the, the power and the manifestation of God's essence is demonstrated in the transfiguration of Jesus. Chapter 11, you have, or chapter 10, you have the children valued by the servant. In chapter 11, the cleansing of the temple by the servant. And that's something you would expect of a servant. Chapter 12, the pain of taxes by the servant. And that's not something you particularly expect uh, from a servant because aren't taxes only for the rich? Uh, it's taxes are for everyone as we experience in our life. Uh, thir- chapter 13, the second coming of the servant. Chapter 14, the prayer of the servant. You're getting this all down, right? Chapter 15, the crucifixion of the servant. And chapter 16, the resurrection of the servant. Now, I give you those things, and we could race through and give a little bit more backstory to those things. But you see the thread of the life of Jesus being demonstrated by him serving. Now, many times when you go through particular books in the New Testament, you'll find there are some key verses that just unfold the main message. And we're going to look at two of them. And then we're going to really summarize all what I want to share today Well, maybe not all that I want to share today, but we're going to emphasize a particular emphasis with one word. So we've looked at the life of Mark. We looked at the comparison of his writings compared to others who were blessed of God to tell us the story. But but what was he trying to just hammer into our life? Turn your Bibles or or look on the screen for a couple passages. Look at Mark chapter 9. I want to begin at verse 33 to get the context of verse 35. Then he came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what was it you were disputing among yourselves on the road? It doesn't really help to whisper around Jesus. If you know some people have really good senses of hearing, I mean, they just seem to pick up everything, particularly if you're saying something about them. Well, Jesus always heard everything. And when he asked questions, he really wasn't asking information because he already knew what they were talking about. But he wanted to hammer home something that he wanted to teach them about. Verse 34, but they kept silent. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them. Now, in places like this, we're not supposed to talk like that. 
Yeah, I wonder if I'm the most important person in this church. You know, I, I wonder if I'm the smartest one in my family. I wonder if, you know, whatever it might be. Well, how would people be able to handle life without me? Well, yeah, as they were looking at following Jesus, after a while, after, all 12 of them began to, to wonder, well, what kind of part of the pecking order am I? Just how valuable am I to Jesus? What makes me important in God's kingdom? And once they began to wrestle with, with what they were doing, they were, they were giving out life's greatest message. They were presenting the king to everyone. And they were, they were anticipating that time in which in the kingdom they would have part of the rule of God amongst people of all nations and every tribe and every tongue. Well, they thought primarily it was just Jewish at that moment. And they wondered, well, what kind of role will I have? And Jesus says that which is most radical. Verse 35. And he sat down and he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Now, we would probably not phrase it like the disciples say, Am I going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? But there are times where we all wonder just... How important am I to God? And if we don't put it in the heavenly language, we'll, we'll look around and, and we'll compare ourselves with others. We don't have to have a hand-raised survey today. But I would dare say it would be 100% that each of us have multiple times wondered just how do I compare with people around me? And maybe we'll put it in the negative or the positive. I'm so glad I'm not like that person. Or we'll put it in the point, I wish I was more like that person. And each of us have different gifts and abilities. And um, Brian was talking about the, at the men's, men's uh, breakfast yesterday that, that uh, we had a special speaker, man on fire, and he was on fire yesterday. And, and I was just marveling at just his ability to speak and communicate. And I'm, I'm sure all of us were thinking, I don't think I could do that good of a job next, next time we have breakfast if I was called on to speak. You got, you got a lot of pressure on you, Steve, for next, uh, next Saturday. But the issue is not comparing ourselves with each other in terms of what makes us important to God. Whatever ability or gift we have, it, it's been given to us by God. Now, we're required to be faithful to develop that gift. But, you know, any one of us here if we understand the, the message of Mark and the message of Jesus, we can all be great in God's kingdom if we're simply willing to be a what? Servant. Now, what, what, kind, of, what kind of gifts and abilities does it take to be a servant? How many times talk, when we have projects around the church or we go going to Mexico or different places, I go, well... Yeah, I, I can help. I, all I can offer is unskilled labor, but I, I'll do whatever I can. Now, that's really a statement about my gifts and abilities, but really, that's, that's the portfolio of a servant, isn't it? I, I don't know what I can do. There's a few things I'm gifted to do and have some experience, and I'm offering that up, but, but I'm just willing to serve. And this is where Jesus was so so counterintuitive to those who would hear them, even his closest companion. If you, if you want to be first, you've got to be willing to be what? Last. See, we understand that our, our call as a church and as people 
that know Jesus is do whatever we can to help people and particularly help them to be fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, if that is accomplished in the life of a person, on their resume is going to be, they are a servant. They're willing to give whatever they have for the sake of others and for the approval of God Almighty. And what's so amazing to me is every single person on this planet can qualify. You can be the greatest in the kingdom of God if you're simply willing to be a servant. And then to illustrate with an object lesson. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And, and when he had taken them in his arms, he said, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. It, it, it's being a friend and being accepting of, of those maybe others don't see as that important. See, being a, a part of God's kingdom is just touching people's lives whoever they are. This, would, this should drive us as far as just simply being a follower of Jesus, that God, I want to be great in your kingdom because I want to do that what pleases you most. And I can do it because you've just called me to be a servant. In summary for look at Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Probably the more familiar verse in this particular gospel account where we have the very simple statement. Again, he says, verse 44, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. And then he goes on, verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Now, in the midst of this shotgun message, and as we go through the gospels, in many ways, we'll be giving a lot of information and then try to drive it down to a major point is this week we can measure how much we're following jesus by just looking at the ways we serve others and that's not only in terms of organized ministry that we're doing institutionally as a church but just as we interact with people in our neighborhoods in our places of work in our homes just giving of ourselves to the needs of others. And looking for opportunities to announce the greatest servant, the one who served by giving his life for them. It's interesting as you look at this gospel, and we'll, we'll, we'll share a few more things this morning. You'll see this emphasized in just some of the things that, that Mark does in recording the story of Jesus. Because there are not only key verses that kind of summarize the gospel of Mark, there's a key word. Now, the word in, in the Greek language is the word euthus. But it really is translated in most English translations as immediately. And I'm a little dyslexic when I put this in the notes here. It's not 24 in your notes. I think we might have corrected. It's not, we haven't corrected on the screen. But it's actually used 42 times in the gospel of Mark. 42 times as he describes the life of Jesus, or he describes life, <laughs> it, it's that which is done immediately, 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 immediately. Jesus was a get-or-done kind of guy. 
sometimes in our staff we'll talk about some things we like to see done and then we'll come up with a plan and then the, the eventual question is, well, when do we want this have this accomplished by? And oftentimes I will say, yesterday. <laughs> I mean, let's, if it's worth getting done, let's get it done now or as quickly as possible. We don't know how much time we got left. You know, it's interesting, is, and I mentioned this a little bit, I don't think I gave the detail, but as Mark gives us the story, not only did he, be, he skips all those preliminary years in the life of Jesus, and they were all important, but he begins right at his public message in his ministry. He really, in chapters 1 through 10, he, he writes of the three-and-a-half-year ministry of Jesus. But in chapters 11 through 16, he spends all the rest of his gospel on eight days as it relates to Jesus. Now, Jesus was well aware what time it was. You know, he didn't have his Blackberry. He wasn't looking, uh, you know, uh, uh, at other ways to determine what time it was. But he knew he only had a certain amount of time. And as he was a servant, he got things done on time. In our... Sermon-based Bible studies this week. I think one of the opening questions is, when, when you go to a restaurant and the waiter or waitress serves you food, what is it that they can do or, or, or he or she can do that would deserve a, a generous tip? Now, hopefully there'll be a lot of different ways you can respond to how they serve you well where you feel like you're giving a tip because they deserve it rather than feel like you just have to. But I would say each one of us would probably have somewhere on that list this thing. I, I, I want my food... <laughs> Delivered to my table as quickly as possible. I, I don't want to sit at that table and have to wait an hour for the food to get there. If my, if my water needs, uh, my glass needs re, whatever they call that, okay. Um, if, I, if I need more coffee, I need more water, I mean, whatever it might be, I, I don't want to have to wait forever. You know, there, is, there is a struggle in all of our lives to somehow not do the things that need to be done or not doing the things that need to be done in a timely matter. And as you look through the gospel of Mark, you'll see the word immediately used over and over and over again because we serve a God who who wants to get it done. Now, it's interesting as you see that played out, you'll see that Jesus did that even as how he ministered to the needs of people. Now, this is a whole other message. In fact, as I was struggling this weekend, as I reread through the Gospel of Mark, you'll see Jesus serving, and serving particularly to meet the needs of people. And as I began to look through the Gospel, I I recognized that when when Jesus would heal, he would heal immediately. There wasn't this long, drawn-out experience with Jesus where he would have people come to him, and, and all of a sudden he would pray for them and say, I hope, hope you'll be blessed somehow in the near future. When he healed them, he healed them immediately. Uh, look at a couple things. We're not going to look through all these passages, but look at Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's mother's 
wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they took him about her at once. Now, just a sidelight here. As far as you understand the Gospels, you understand sometimes how people look at church history. Sometimes people look at Simon Peter as, as a person who uh, kind of developed the whole uh, lineage of the of, of the Pope and everything else. And if you, if you know about priests in certain disciplines of, uh, of church history, they, they feel that they were, they were celibate, they didn't have families. Let me ask you a question. If Simon Peter had a mother-in-law, that means um, he must have had a what? Wife. Okay, that's all I want to say about that, but let's just move on, okay? But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. And you'll see every miracle that Jesus did, particularly in healing people, it happened immediately. Except for one occasion. In fact, if you talk to people about this, they'll say, well, what about the, the occasion in Mark chapter 8? So turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. And we're not going to look at the one. It's not on your outline, but we want to look at this for a moment. Mark chapter 8. Uh, Beginning with verse 22. Oh, let's back up the truck just a little bit. Uh, Let's look at verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. This is Mark chapter 8, verse 14. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the backstory of this is they were now in a different missionary journey with Jesus, and there were 4,000 people around him, not just the men, and they didn't have enough food, and so they're saying, what are we going to do? They had forgotten somehow that Jesus was able to feed a large crowd whenever he wanted to do it. He said, haven't you gotten this? I'm not limited by the resources around me. Verse 20, also when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets of fragments did you take up? They said seven. So he said, how is it you do not understand? Verse 22, then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes and again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to the house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in town. Now, some will say, well, this is an example of Jesus not healing someone immediately. But, but let's take that miracle t- to a test. Number one, when he prayed for them or when that person's eyes uh, came to the point where he could see clearly, was that done within a period of the same month? Yes. How about the same week? Yes. How about the same day? Yes. How about within the same probable hour? Okay, how about within the same five minutes probably? Okay, so if that's not immediately or within a very, very close proximate uh, period of time, then I would say you can use that comparison with any other miracle where these huge healing ministries come and they say, well, I pray for them, they might get healed somehow in the distant future. 
this was a miracle that was done within the same short period of time. Secondly, you need to understand this. Is it's quite probable that what Jesus was doing here was giving his disciples an object lesson here. He had just told them you have ears to hear, but you can't hear. You have eyes to see, you can't see. You're seeing like this blind man. You're, you're looking at things, and it's all in a, in, a, in a fuzzy, you know, the people look like trees. Look, if you really believe in me, you'll see things clearly. And then he saw clearly as the miracle hand of God came upon them. If you're going to understand the life of Jesus serving to meet the needs of people, you need to not only have a theology of how he heals, but also a theology of suffering. And when Jesus was here, everyone who came to him was completely healed. Uh, We could look at Mark chapter 6, where even people who just simply touched him were healed and were healed immediately. Is that happening like that today? Well, the king has left. The physical presence of God Almighty is no longer here. And there is no place where where God is healing in that dimension today. There are places where he is healing. And there are places where he heals immediately. And when people are sick, we ought to pray. In fact, maybe today, as we end this service, you'd like to have someone pray for you because there's a physical need in your life. But God basically heals in two ways. One, he heals immediately, or what he does, he gives you the strength to go through a longer healing process. And I want you to understand this too. When Jesus healed, he healed for the purpose of understanding who he was. In fact, he would often use the, the analogy of that he was the great physician, and he came not to heal those who were not sick, but heal those who were sick. In the context of that, he was talking about why do, you, why do you sit among those who are task gatherers and sinners? We do the work of God's healing power when we bring Jesus to people. In fact, it's interesting that the same word for healing, often in the, in the accounts of Jesus' healing, is the word sozo, which means to save, to make you well. The point I'm not trying to make here is that when Jesus met needs, he met them immediately and miraculously. If healing was the same way then as it is to now, why do we have even the, the, the discipline, and some of you serve in that, in the medical field? Because it's not God's purpose for everyone to be healed physically. In, in fact, many times when he would do a miracle, he would tell them, don't tell anybody. Why? Because that was not the reason he came, simply to heal people physically. He came to heal people spiritually. The sickest people in this world today are not the people who have a physical ailment. The sickest people in this world today are the people who don't know Jesus. The other point I want to make in terms of God ministering to people immediately is that when, when, when God calls in your life, you need to respond to him immediately. It's interesting, look at, since you're in Mark chapter 1, let's look at Mark chapter 1 uh, as he calls the, the lies of the disciples. Look at Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 18. And he walked by the, we'll start at verse 16. And he walked by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And they, what's the next word there? Immediately left their nets and followed him. 
And when he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat, mending their nets. And what's the next word there? Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Now, what's the point I want to make there? Was this the first time they'd ever heard Jesus, about Jesus? No. They were disciples of John the Baptist. They heard the message of John the Baptist talking about the one who was to come. They'd encountered Jesus at other times of life. But there came a point in the life of these men when Jesus called, they needed to respond. And I think as we think about life, and we think about the life of following Jesus, when God calls us, when there's something clearly He wants us to do and to be, we need to respond, and we need to respond immediately. There's only so much time we have left on this earth. And God wants us to use our time wisely, using it in a way that serves others for the kingdom of God. What's, what's the point this morning? Whatever needs to be done, whatever, whatever is most important, do it now. Do it now. Do it immediately. Let's pray. Father, some come this morning with a variety of needs in their life or callings for their life. And whatever it is, Father, you want us to respond now. For some it might be as we continue to worship that they need to have someone pray with them now. And we invite them to do that as we continue to to sing unto you and as we give unto you. For some it's it's a ministry that you know that that they are convinced you want them to participate in and and they need to respond now. For some, they, they've considered the claims of Christ for their life, and they've been putting it off for some unknown future. And they need to respond to the invitation of Jesus now. Father, help us to be people who know what's most important and then go after it now. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.